So we're going to be talking about Mere Christianity, chapter four of book two. Um, if you haven't already, you should go back, listen to the other episodes on Mere Christianity. Um, we've been working our way through the book. It's a book that's meant a lot to both Walter and I, and we just, we know that there's a lot of, uh, we've at least gotten a lot of meaning out of it, um, and we want to share that with you guys. So if you've already read the book, go back and read it again, maybe. That's what we're doing. And yeah. I there's definitely some moments where I'm like, Am I, did I definitely read this chapter yeah. before? Because I don't remember getting this much out of it. It's you definitely know? worth the reread. And mm-hmm. I, I agree with what you said when we were talking earlier that like, there's stuff I'm coming across that's making me question if I actually read it the first yeah. time all the way through or did yeah. I skip stuff? Yeah, cause... I'm like, maybe this is one of the times where I was kind of daydreaming while yeah. I was reading. <laughs> Wasn't 100% paying attention yeah. or something. I don't know. It was also like, five years ago so yeah i mean between the stuff that you forget and the new stuff that you get out of it being a little bit further down the road and a little bit more mature maybe i feel like it's really worth a reread for sure welcome to talking with intention a christian podcast about self-betterment through meaningful conversation I'm Michael Collins. My co-host is Walter Somerville, and in every episode, we sit down to talk about something that we find meaningful or something that we're still trying to figure out. We're not experts. We just believe that life is better when we're intentional about it. I hope you love the show. Yeah, we are talking about the perfect penitent is the name of the chapter. Um, At the end of the last chapter, Lewis laid out his famous lord lunatic or a liar argument saying that jesus cannot be or he has to be one of those three basically he either is god or he is a crazy person who thinks that he's god or he is a liar who is deceiving people and we discussed that already i feel like i you know it's a very famous argument i always felt like it's not as i mean it's not a great argument for convincing people that jesus is god because most of the time somebody doesn't believe that Christ is Lord, then they don't believe in the infallibility of the scriptures anyway. It's like, you have to accept that the Bible is true for that argument to work. But But. it is interesting how many people I've heard say that, you know, like, I, you know, think Jesus was a great moral teacher, um, just nothing more than that. I think he was a historical figure who was a great teacher, but that's it. And it's like, you can't really say that, like, not if you're, yeah, not if you believe in the Look Jesus. Look at all the things the he char- says. This character that's been laid out in this Bible, if you believe that it's true, you have to accept one of these things. I mean, or you have to, and they wouldn't say that they're doing this, but to me it feels like you have to try to twist scripture to get yeah. it to fit in. And it's like, how can you accept him as a great teacher when then like a huge part of what he's doing is claiming to be God? And so... Well, is he a liar? Is that who you want your moral teacher to be? Is somebody who's this huge, bold-faced liar? Or is he actually God, in which case he's a lot more than a moral teacher, which is, that's pretty much what Lewis's argument is there. Um, and it leads into this this really moving chapter, at least for me, and I think for you too, Mike, called The Perfect Penitent. Um, it's, yeah, one of the more emotional chapters I've read so far, at least, because um, it gets into like the meat of the gospel a little bit more, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so right after laying out this argument, Lewis says, we are faced then with a frightening alternative. This man we are talking about either was and is just what he said or else a lunatic or something worse. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor... F- uh, <laughs> 
He was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. God has landed on this enemy-occupied world in human form. And so now he starts talking about, yeah, the purpose. Why did God come down? And Lewis says before he became a Christian, he was under the impression that the first thing Christians had to believe was one particular theory as to what the point of this dying was, of Christ dying on the cross. And according to that theory, this is Lewis's theory before he became a Christian, he says, God wanted to punish men for having deserted and joined the great rebel, being the devil. But Christ volunteered to be punished instead, and so God let us off. Which called me out because I was like, that sounds about like yeah, what that, I think I believe. Yeah, when he I first believe. laid it out, I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I didn't really, I just Isn't kept reading. Um, and then and then he, the next sentence says, now I admit that even this theory does not seem quite, <laughs> seem to me quite so immoral and so silly as it used to. And I was like, wait a minute. Let me go back and reread that. Yeah. What it, and I underline one word that stuck out to me as the main thing of being wrong with this theory that Lewis had. And that that is, and that I think a lot of people do have this theory. Like this is what they think Christianity is. And I'll read it again. And you tell me if you can guess the word. All right. God wanted to punish men for having deserted and joined the great rebel, but Christ volunteered to be punished instead. And so God let us off. No, but it was close to that one. Wanted. God wanted to punish men for having deserted and joined the great rebel. To me, that was the one thing that jumped out was God wanted to punish men. Yeah. I, I, don't, I think that's the, it, the biggest mistake with that theory. God doesn't want to punish us. He wants to have a relationship with us. Yeah. And when we, are, when we sin, we're born into sin because sin has entered the world, as Lewis has kind of talked about up to this point in the book, right? And so we are born into a sin nature because of the fall of man at the very beginning. That means that with a sin nature, it's not that God wants us to be punished for that. He doesn't want that to want there to be a punishment, he, but he sin is the opposite of God, right? It is the opposite of his nature. So it has to be wiped out. It cannot exist in the same sense, right. uh, in the same area as God, right? Yeah, but it, punishment isn't the goal itself. But the punishment is not the goal. The punishment, if you can, you want to call it a punishment, is is the necessary something that's necessary to get rid of the sin, right? He, God gave us the law, and we are unable to follow the law, so He had to come down as a man and fulfill the law Himself, yeah. so that our sins can be forgiven. If that, and it is, I'm trying to talk about a very complicated yeah. idea that we can't r- even really understand as yeah. C- Lewis is going to get into in just a little bit and sum it up in a few words. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm not being clear. But to me, definitely that word pun- wanted to punish is where the biggest issue is. Well, and I think that's what I think he, he comes on here later to start talking about. There's a lot of different ways you can argue or think about um, what Jesus dying on the cross did, how exactly it worked. Mm -hmm. And so theologians can get into it, different denominations can get into it, but he says what everybody agrees on is that it did work. Mm -hmm. 
And so yeah. just keeping it as simple as we can, however exactly it did, it worked in putting us right with God. Yeah. That's that, what to the purpose of it. He says, he, I underline this part where Lewis writes, the central Christian belief is that Christ's, that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. Right, which at first it's like, okay, yeah, what's really the difference between that and the other old theory? But yeah. this is much more basic, I guess, more direct. Every Christian is going to agree with this statement that Christ's death has somehow put us right with God and given us a fresh start. And we start to disagree with each other on the specifics of how exactly yeah, that like happened. Yeah, like the mechanism. Which yeah. I think, I thought that was so interesting to me. I was just thinking about it like, why do we why are we immediately jumping into okay how exactly does that work cuz everybody like we just said all christians agree it does work it puts us right with god and he feels like a natural human tendency to jump in and try to figure out okay exactly how does that work though let me tease that apart and and work on that which is interesting and i just think it it kind of points out something about humans that we are forever curious even maybe to our own detriment that we're trying to figure out exactly how these things work and sometimes with our faith sometimes you don't figure it all out yeah and i mean that's the thing where it doesn't work in a sense that we can really understand you know you're not going to prove the forgiveness of sin with science right it's not something that you know it wouldn't make any sense if we think about it from a worldly view for me to commit a crime and them to throw you in jail for it, right? And so it's like, okay, that doesn't make any sense in the world that we live and breathe and interact with daily. But now all of a sudden we're not talking about this world, right? We're to, well, we are, but we're talking about something greater, talking about something above and the creator. And yeah. we, it's... It, and it is interesting because especially the way, I mean, Lewis talks about it in the same kind of terms, like it doesn't make sense for someone to be, take the fall for my sins. How can they even do that? But I think there is something to just ex accepting for a moment the fact that it just works, right? Um, and maybe that's a bit of where like the faith comes into all this is it does work. God died on the cross for our sins and it was enough. Mm -hmm. Whether I understand it completely or not, like he said it was enough and so my sins are forgiven. And then anything beyond that is just us trying to understand it. It's not important whether we understand it. It just helps us sometimes to to believe. And it's, you know, thankfully we don't have to understand it for it to work yeah, at all. Exactly. You know, unless Lewis talks about this, um, he says, I will tell you what I think it is like. All sensible people know that if you are tired and hungry, a meal will do you good. But the modern theory of nourishment, all about the vitamins and proteins, is a different thing. People ate their dinners and felt better long before the, bef long before the theory of vitamins was ever heard of. Yeah. Super interesting. Like, we, you can just know it works. You don't yeah. have to figure out You don't out have to understand all the details. And I think Lewis was more comfortable with not understanding than a lot of other Christians and especially other great thinkers of his day and of our day. You know, I mean, the more somebody understands about the Bible, the more, well, let me say this, the more someone knows about scripture, the more they think they understand it. Right. 
and but really we're talking and i mean they i'm sure they're people understand some people under do understand it better than others but nobody understands this process completely you can't and not yet at least maybe when we are in heaven we'll understand it we'll definitely understand it better than we do now but we're talking about something that you cannot comprehend completely because we we're basing all the knowledge we have on this topic is in the bible right and the bible is god explaining to us the best way that he knows how at least that's what I believe is he's going to explain how this works the best way that he can. Just like that's also how I look at, at the story of creation, the creation of the world, right? We're talking about something that we can't really comprehend because nobody's ever seen something be created from nothing. Yeah. But God explains it to us the best way he can. Right. And it's like a rocket scientist explaining his job to an insect, right? It's just not, it's going to be simplified and, you know, and we think i think we think i think <laughs> i think we think <laughs> i definitely think that we believe we understand more than we do yeah and I, but i think that you said earlier that the more you study it the more you think you understand it but i think up to a certain point hopefully if you have a little bit of humility i think the more you jump into it and study just about anything the more you realize how little you understand. Yeah. At least that's been my experience with a lot of stuff. Yeah, the I think that's I true. The more I study it, I'm like, I am a dummy. I don't know what I'm talking about. And I think that it comes in waves. Like, well, what I said was the more you know about the Bible, the more you think you understand it. But I think, you know, you study something. I, at least this is the way it's felt for me with Scripture and with other things in my life, like learning about how to make a podcast, right? Yeah. It's something where I'm interested in it, I start studying it and I feel, and I learn about it, yeah. right? And I start to feel like, oh, I'm understanding this. Yeah. And then I like break through a barrier and into the next level, almost like moving up a grade in school. And all of a sudden I realize, oh, I don't understand anything. There's a whole I, I another level that I stumble upon know. something much more complicated, you know, something that I didn't even know existed yeah. until I understood the basics that yeah. I was learning up to that point, right? Yeah, but it takes like, it takes that little bit of exploration. If you just accepted, oh, I know everything about podcasting yeah. and you weren't active with it a little, a little bit progressive, you wouldn't understand how little you do know. And I think it's the same with a lot of things. For me, I'm thinking of like biology and I had these classes on mushrooms and I was like, oh, mushrooms make sense to me. They decompose stuff mm -hmm. and that's what they do. And some of them are tasty. And like the more I got into it, I was like, holy smokes, I have no clue what's going on with any of this stuff. Yeah. It just the more you study, mm -hmm. you you're still learning things, Which is but even why more we, than that, you're learning yeah. what you don't know. There's so much more that you didn't think was Which there. Which is why we always need to be reading our Bible, even if we've already read it, you know? Yeah. I've got a part underlined here. Lewis says, we believe that the death of Christ is just that point in history at which something absolutely unimaginable from outside shows through into our own world. And he's talking about, he, well, I'll say it'll help if I read the next sentence, I guess. He says, and if we cannot picture even the atoms of which our own world is built, of course, we're not going to be able to picture this. Indeed, if we found that we could fully understand it, that very fact would show us that it is not what it professes to be, the inconceivable, the uncreated, the thing from beyond nature, striking down into nature like lightning. 
right? Which is, I mean, exactly true. If we found that we could completely understand God and how he works miracles and we could comprehend him and and, and his acts in our own mind, that would prove that he isn't God. He's a part of the world and not the maker of the world. Mm, Because there's no way we would ever be able to comprehend an infinite being or the, you know, anything that he really does completely. It's just, it's out of our grasp. And we we have to accept that if we're going to live with faith at all. Yeah. And I like what he says. He talks a little bit more about the atom um, going forward and kind of uses it as a metaphor for trying to understand just like we were saying trying to understand how exactly it worked that when jesus died on the cross it was enough to pay for our sins like okay that's confusing for us to understand um so trying to understand it all the things all the explanations that we come up with to try to explain exactly how it works like is it kind of like a debt that's that he paid for us um that kind of makes sense like if we had a debt we would need somebody to help bail us out Okay, well, that's one way to kind of explain it. He says it's kind of like with the atom. Well, even the top physicists and theorists, we haven't seen an atom. The picture of the atom that we get drawn in our textbook is based off of a mathematical formula that we have. So it's just trying to explain the real thing. But you can't see the real thing. And so it's it's the same thing with this. You know, we can't understand how exactly it worked that our sins can be taken and cleaned because of what Jesus did on the cross. But we can try to draw a picture of it that helps us understand it. Yeah. Um, and my one of my favorite things, which we'll get to at the end, is, but I think it's worth mentioning now, is he says, this is all just an attempt to explain how he thinks it works. Mm-hmm. It's not at all more important than the thing itself. And if it doesn't help you to understand it, get rid of it it doesn't matter if you if this metaphor helps you understand it better or this metaphor it's all a metaphor and the important thing is the thing itself which we we can't describe perfectly we can't understand it perfectly that's what lewis says i feel like he says that a couple times that if this explanation of it if this you know if his view on everything which he gets into in a little bit if it's not helpful throw it out all you need to know is that it works. You don't have to understand it. And I think this is why, you know, people would ask Lewis and try to get him to give a straight answer on different theologies, right? Calvinism versus Arminianism or, you know, whatever else, like the the predestination, free will thing, um, his view on evolution. Is it, you know, because there's creationists and creative evolutionist or something like that. I don't know what it's all called. Yeah. And they would try to figure it out and get him into one camp or another. And I actually, you know, me and Summer were visiting family recently and, and, uh, her sister texted her other sister who was nearby and asked me about it. Um, uh, they were apparently, she was in the middle of a debate with some of the other kids at her school and I say kids they're all adults <laughs> but people at her school about whether or not C.S. Lewis believed in evolution and she had some quote I think from the problem of pain yeah. and I uh, 
I responded to her and I was just talking about how yeah, Lewis doesn't really give a whole lot of clear answers. He likes to present ideas and like, here's a viewpoint, but even if he presents a certain viewpoint, I don't know that it's necessarily what he believes on these more specific theological discussions, just because he wasn't really concerned with any of that. He left it to other people. He was more concerned with winning people over, convincing non-believers that Christ was Lord. Yeah, exactly. Like all these you know, little nitpicky theologies, or even what we might think are, you know, some important parts of theology. It's all just trying to explain something that is maybe beyond explanation, right? Which is why we have all these metaphors for everything, even our relationship with God. We've got like five different metaphors in the Bible for what our relationship to God is like, Mm -hmm. right? And what's interesting is I think it's different for different people, right? Um, And so like, the metaphor of a slave that might be because that's one of the main metaphors that's used to define our relationship to how we relate to God, how God relates to us is like slaves kind of. And so to some people that might be, that might sum it up as close as they can get. Right. Um, because of their understanding of things, other people, it might be um, the idea that we're like a son to God. Right. But none of the metaphors explain exactly how, our relation, what our relationship is to God. And so if one of them isn't helpful in helping you understand it, then you don't have to, you worry don't have to stress it. or worry about it too much, right? Um, they're all just helping us understand it as best we can. The metaphor itself is not what we should be focusing on. We're trying to get at something beyond the metaphor, right? What is our actual relationship to God? In this case, we're trying to get we're trying to explain and understand as best we can how in the world Jesus was a penitent for our sins, how he was able to pay for our mistakes in some way. All we know is that it works, really. That's all we know for sure. And Lewis points out, and I've underlined here, if God was prepared to let us off, why on earth did he not do so? And at what possible point and what possible point could there be in punishing an innocent person instead, right? Because the idea is that Christ was perfectly innocent. That's why the sacrifice worked. And then people are like, okay, well, if God was going to forgive us, why did Christ have to die? Which I've why had somebody bring that us? up to me, and I was like, I don't know. Because, right, he's God. He can do whatever he can, he can he do set it up if the he rules. wants to. Yeah. Yeah, why can't he, if he was going to forgive us, why couldn't he just forgive us? So that was like, that's an excellent question. Yeah. And Lewis points out that, yeah, there's no reason at all that he can see if you are looking at it from an earthly standpoint, from a criminal justice system right. standpoint. That makes Standing no sense. Standing in a sense. courtroom. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense that, okay, we're accusing you of this. Mm-hmm. And then somebody stands up in the back is like, well, I'll take the life sentence in jail. Okay. That doesn't make any sense. You're not the one who um, committed the fault. You're not the one who can just take the punishment like that. Um, It has to be the person who, you know, committed the fault, whatever it was. So it doesn't make any sense in that kind of a perspective. But Lewis says, if you look at it as paying the penalty, not in the sense of punishment, but in the more general sense of standing the racket or footing the bill, that's what Lewis says. Yeah. So paying the price, you know, yeah. your friend can't afford 
his lunch, you pay it for him, right? Um, it's like that's a more common experience that we see all the time. You you pay the price for your friend. Your friend gets himself into debt, into some trouble. You love your friend. You want to help him out. Bail right? him out of jail. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully you never have to do that. But it does make more sense for us to understand because like, oh, somebody could come in and bail you out of jail. Even though they didn't get in trouble themselves, you have to have somebody else. You can't do it for yourself. You have to have a friend that can come pay a price and get you out. Yeah. And this is when we're, in all of this, we're getting into more of Lewis's understanding of why, of how it works, I guess. And the he's already talked about how we don't have to understand it completely, but this is kind of his view on why it was necessary and how it works and everything. Um, and he talks about then why does that debt have to be paid at all yeah. then obviously or what is the debt that what has is to the be debt that has to be a step paid? back yeah and this is where i really like lewis's view on this and i feel like he lays this out really well in his book um uh what's it called where it's the it's a dream and it's the bus ride oh yeah oh no it's sitting on the shelf it's right over there hold on um, I'm going to see if I can beat you at coming up with the name before you can find it on the bookshelf. Oh, boy. The Great Divorce. Ah, dang it. Yep. Oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Yes, The Great yes. Divorce. In his book, The Great Divorce, Lewis, I think, is able to lay out this idea a lot better through story. Um, but it, essentially, when man is sinful, when he, the unchristian man, right, is his pride is keeping him from God right. in that sense. Like he, if you're start with this human beings worship, right? Everybody worships something. And do you, and I, I hope that Lewis would agree with me kind of taking his idea and running with it on my own here, but <laughs> it's my podcast. <laughs> um, if he wants to refute it, he has to come he, on. He has himself. to come be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but mankind you know everybody worships something and the only righteous being to worship the only correct choice of what or who to worship is god yeah. right but even if you're do if you're not going to worship god you're going to either be worshiping yourself or money or your house or your significant other or your job or whatever whatever your top priority is that's what you worship right. you know and it's choosing other things over God, right? Somebody who doesn't believe, you know, and Lewis, and I keep thinking about the great divorce because in, I'm going to just talk about in the book, the great divorce, it's real short, highly recommend it. Um, but Lewis, his view, I think it's him, or I don't know if he's through the eyes of somebody else, but whoever the main character is ends up both in heaven and in hell. And when he's in hell, um, there's a point where he starts wondering or he asks somebody or something, why can these people not come up to heaven? Yeah. And he's told or realizes it's been a while since I read it, but somebody says basically they can, but they don't want to, yeah. you know, it's not that they're banished and they're not allowed to come up no matter how much they beg and want to come to God. Yeah. It's that they don't want to come to God. Right. They've chosen this on their own so right continuing the and same choice that's what he said in his view of hell in this book i just remember people would like they could do anything they wanted basically it was like they could create things with 
out of nothing essentially and like people would build themselves mansions but they were no matter what they were able to do and give themselves they were always miserable because apart from god there's no goodness right there's no joy and he's just said it, it just the longer people were down there the more bitter and resentful they got the more they hated seeing other people or being around and they just would walk off into this endlessness and constantly you know be building themselves more and more stuff trying to fill this void but you know they always just were trying to get further away from everybody else they wanted nothing to do with anybody they wanted to be on their own they're trying to but it was just all it was endless despair basically not because of any devils torturing people but just because they chose to live apart from god and god give gave them what they wanted right and so C.S. Lewis says, like, we tried to set up on our own. Mm-hmm. We tried to... We yeah, we tried to live act- our lives without God. Yeah, acting as if we belonged to ourselves, mm-hmm. which is a good way of putting it. Um, and and so that that doesn't line up with reality, and so it's it's going to be miserable. Um, it says, we're not. it's not just that we're an imperfect creature that needs work and perfecting. Um, it's a little bit more like we're a rebel is how Lewis puts it, actively fighting against God. We've set up in contrary to God. So it's not just here's some flaws we have. Maybe a better picture is we're a rebel that has to lay down our arms um, and surrender. And yeah, so the this is the debt that we have to pay. Is this, this is the hole that we've fallen into, is this, this cycle of self-centeredness and re- fighting against God right. and... The only way out is through repentance. Yeah, and which is what we call surrendering, laying down your arms, ca- yeah. waving a white flag. Giving your life to Christ, Yeah, letting go of it, right? And which, interestingly, is a lot what is a lot like what C.S. Lewis's own, uh, what do you call it, testimony is kind of like. He kind of paints the picture of he tried his very best to explain away being an atheist and he couldn't do it and so he had to just surrender and accept that there was a god and basically the, love, the gospel in his book he and in uh what which one is it that's a autobiography partially um it's i'm looking at the shelf now surprised by joy um i can't remember any of the titles apparently um but he, I remember he calls himself like the most reluctant convert in all of <laughs> Europe or something like that. Like basically dragged in <laughs> through heaven's gates, kicking and screaming. That's such a funny <laughs> image just with like, I don't know, some of the pictures you get painted of the gospel. That's like such a funny way to put his conversion. Um, but I think it is, a, a, I think it's an interesting paint or picture to paint of just laying down your arms that's what repentance is is giving up this this little civil war you've tried to start and letting god take back over Mm -hmm. lewis lays that out that you know repentance is not fun it's more than just humbling yourself it means and this is i'm reading from the book here it means unclearing all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years it means killing part of yourself undergoing a kind of death in fact it needs a good man to repent and here comes the catch only a bad person needs to repent only a good person can repent perfectly right and he goes on to say, like, the worse you are, 
the harder it is for you to repent, right? The further into this you that you are, the further self-centered and the longer you've been set up with as if you belong to yourself, the harder and harder it is going it is to repent and in fact impossible, right? So the only person that can repent perfectly is a perfect man. And guess who doesn't need to repent at all? Well, a perfect man. And so this is the paradox we're stuck in. Yeah, he says the worse you are, the more you need it, and the less you can do it. And this is what it, you know, this is coming back to God. It is this repentance. And Lewis says if you ask God to take you back without it, you are really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. It's going back to God is repenting and letting go of yourself. Yeah. You can't go back to God mm-hmm. without letting go so of yourself. You either choose yourself or you choose God, right? You like just like, and that's what he lays out in the Great Divorce, and that's what I was getting at. With we always worship something, is that you're going to worship either, most likely either yourself or God. Yeah. There's, I mean, yeah, that's it, and that's why I say that pride is the root of all sin as well. Is you know, it you're focused on yourself and what you want, or you're focused on God and what He wants. The same badness which makes us need it makes us unable to do it. Can we do it if God helps us? Yes, but what do we mean when we talk of God helping us? We mean God putting into himself, nope, sorry, we mean God putting into us a bit of himself, so to speak. He lends us a little of his reasoning powers, and this is how we think. He puts a little of his love into us, and this is how we love one another. When you teach a child writing, you hold its hand while it forms the letters. That is, it forms the letters because you are forming them. We love and reason because God loves and reasons and holds our hand while we do it. Now, if we had not fallen, that would all, that would be all plain sailing. But unfortunately, we now need God's help in order to do something which God, in his own nature, never does at all. To surrender, to suffer, to submit, and to die. So, there's just, you know... Exactly right. God does not surrender. Yeah. He isn't. Who would he surrender to? He has no reason at all to yeah. surrender. He um, doesn't submit. Yeah, um, and he doesn't die. I think those three things, you know, just set up and make this, you know, what we're about to get into a lot more impactful. It's like these are three things that are that are not in his nature yeah. as God, um, and it's exactly what we need we need to be taught how to surrender we need to be taught how to die to ourselves and that's the one thing you know this image of you know grabbing a child's hand to teach him how to write a letter well that's because you know how to write that letter you've done it hundreds of times you can do it perfectly and so when you do it really you're writing the letter but the child is you know following along mm-hmm. but god can't teach god, us how to repent because he's he hasn't never done, done it. it exactly right? so how do we get around that any guesses? <laughs> God has to become a man, which is what we get with Christ. And Lewis talks about it and says, supposing God, supposing God became a man, suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person. Then that person could help us, yeah. right? We cannot, Lewis says, share God's dying unless God dies, and he cannot die except by being a man. 
That is the sense in which he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself need not suffer at all. He comes to show us, to lead us through. And that's what, you know, Christ talks about. He's the the bridge, right? What does he say? What's the verse? The way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me, through death, through repentance. The Bible says when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. We have to die to ourselves so that we can live for Christ. Yeah. And that's another thing that Lewis says all Christians believe is that somehow we can join with Jesus in his suffering and death and also then reap the reward, which is victory over death and resurrection with Jesus into a new life, which is another one of these things where exactly how it works is debated. Different people, different denominations might believe different things, but that at some point you have to somehow join with Jesus, be crucified with him is how Paul puts it, and to then also achieve the resurrection and the victory over death, which Jesus had. So what we really understand now is that it works. It doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter how bad you mess up how many mistakes you've made, how horrible of a person you are, right? If you can let go of yourself and give, surrender your life to God, he'll take you because he wants to have a relationship with you. And the best part even is that you, you know, you can't do it yourself. So you don't have to do it yourself. God will help you. You just have to be willing to let him help you. Yeah. And and then to join with his, and join with him in his suffering, right? So, just like we were talking about drawing that letter, right? God just, God doesn't just do it, and it's done. You join with it. You're along for the ride. He teaches you how to repent. You still have to turn from yourself, yeah. right? You have to accept what Jesus did on the cross, mm-hmm. and and that's how he teaches us how to repent and how then we can have a relationship with him now whatever price that was, whatever debt we owed or sin we had, now it's cleared away through this amazing thing. This last little bit. Oh, yeah, this was funny. kind of an interesting tag on. I feel like this is kind of a better place to end, but it is interesting. It says, I've heard some people complain that if Jesus was God as well as man, then his sufferings and death lose all value in their eyes. Quote, unquote, because it must have been so easy for him, right? So this idea that because Jesus was God, it was easy for him to, to suffer and die on the cross. Um, it was too easy. They kind yeah. of say it was unfair, you know. <laughs> it's unfair. He, he's God, so it, it's harder for me to do it. Yeah. Which is like, yeah, obviously it's harder for you to do it. That's why he had to do <laughs> That's it. That's the point. That's the whole point is, the, you know, and Lewis gives a couple different metaphors or analogies here. Talks so about sassy. I love them. I know. <laughs> I'll just read them. Um, Lewis says, the teacher is able to form the letters for the child because the teacher is a grown up and knows how to write. That, of course, makes it easier for the teacher. And only because it is easier for him can he help the child. If it rejected him because it's easy for grown-ups and waited to learn writing from another child who could not write itself, 
and so had no unfair advantage, it would not get on very quickly. Nobody would learn how to write in that scenario. <laughs> if I was drowning, or if I am drowning in a rapid river, a man who still has one foot on the bank may give me a hand which may save my life. Ought I to shout back between my gasps, No, it's not fair. You have an advantage. You're keeping one foot on the bank. That advantage, call it unfair if you like, is the only reason why he can be of any use to me. To what will you look for help if you will not look to that which is stronger than yourself? Lewis says, but remember, this is only one more picture. Do not mistake it for the thing itself. And if it does not help you, drop it. And which makes me think of Paul writing to, I don't know, one of his letters. And he says, all I know is Christ and him crucified, right? That's all he's trying to teach the people. He's not trying to get into any fancy theology. He's just trying to make sure that they understand that Christ died for them. Because that's way more important. I mean, the theology stuff can be fun, hopefully. I mean, it makes a lot of people angry, um, but it can be interesting and it can bring you, you know, make you feel, I don't know. It can bring you, I don't know what to say about it really, but I think you just, the biggest. First of all, it helps me understand at least the meaning, at least understand that it's beyond understanding. Like working through this, just here, you and me, like it made me realize that I don't understand what what Christ did on the cross. And it, that makes it so much more meaningful. Now I at least understand that I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, studying theology can definitely be God-glorifying. God yeah. We just have to make sure we're not using it to fight each other, you know? Yeah. And also, I think it can become a self-serving, like lots of things. It can become yeah, self-serving. It can always be twisted. Just making yourself look smarter and and I don't know, trying to make yourself out to be more than you are. Um, but yeah, just coming back to the core issue of we're in a hole here. We need some help. And amazingly, um, that that picture of just the kid trying to learn how to draw a letter and the fact that what we needed help learning how to do was repenting and turning from ourselves which God has never had to do. He is doing it right because he's focused on himself as, you know, glorifying himself. And so just the, the, I don't know, the, what do they call it? Redemption story of him coming down to learn how to repent, to do it for himself. And then that being our, way of coming to him is learning by following him through what he had to go through um, so that we can be with him. Well, that was chapter eight. Chapter nine is coming. Yeah. Um, That's by far my favorite chapter so was, far. Yeah. And so one. listen to this podcast, hopefully enjoy it. But go, it. if you even if you skip all other chapters, just take a look at chapter eight and I think it'll hopefully it'll be something meaningful but also just check out the whole book and we'll keep going with it yeah 